0: That we had read for us. So please turn with me in your Bibles. Have your Bibles open or your devices there in John chapter 18. The, the, The title for this morning's sermon is Truth on Trial. And right there in the middle you hear Pilate saying, what is truth? The author, every author, every writer of a book has a reason for writing their book. And sometimes they set that out at the beginning. Sometimes they don't even set it out. Perhaps just their bank balance sets it out because they're wanting to make money. But we know clearly what John had in mind when he was writing this book, when he was writing this Gospel of John. In chapter 20 and verse 31 it tells us, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants you, the reader, to believe in Jesus. And he wants you to believe in Jesus so that you can have life. And so the truth that is on trial is the truth that is a life and death issue. In bygone years and in some parts of the world, it still is the case. If there was a murder trial happening, the person who was on trial, their life would be in the balance. If they were guilty, then capital punishment would take place. And in some ways, we've got to see this truth in that light. Our eternity is connected to the truth that is on trial in this passage. And so we have to listen. And we have to ask God to help us as we just have done. Last week, we looked at the, the passage before this, which was the betrayal and the arrest and the denial, of, the denial of Peter's denial of Christ. And in all this, we saw that Jesus was in total control. He wasn't a, a victim of an accident. He didn't get three and a half years into his ministry and it all go wrong. We saw from the passage that Jesus knew everything. And he was all-powerful when he came to be arrested. And he said, I am. They all fell away. 300 plus people. We saw that Jesus is a promise-keeping, obedient Savior. And Judas betrayed because he loved money more than Jesus. And the Jews accused because they loved themselves more than Jesus. Jesus. And Peter denied because of pride and self-confidence and laziness and fear of man and following at a distance. And all these things are dangers to us. But as we move on, we move on from Christ's arrest and his betrayal and the denial. And we move on to his trial. And that's the passage that we read earlier there from 18, chapter 18, verse 28, through to 19, verse 16. Next week, God willing, we'll be in the crucifixion, and on Easter Sunday, we'll be at the resurrection. That's how it's going, God willing. I have four headings as we go through this passage together. And the first one is, The Power of the Passover. The power of the Passover. John reminds us in this passage, both at the beginning of the section, in verse 28, in the middle, in verse 39, and at the end, 1915, that this narrative, this passage of history, this moment in time, was just before the Passover. Now in those days, when someone read this 2,000 years ago, When the word Passover was mentioned, they knew exactly what it was straight away. I thought it just would be helpful for us to have a reminder of what the Passover was. The Passover was, and and for some Jews it still is, uh, an eight-day festival. It's a feast celebrated in the month of Nisan, the Jewish month, the Hebrew month of Nisan, which is early springtime, around about now. What it is celebrating, what it is uh, remarking, and what it is a festival of is the release of the Israelites, the Jews, from their centuries long captivity in Egypt. God had promised his people the promised land, but they hadn't got there. And they got themselves in a pickle, and they were in captivity, and the Egyptians were not letting them go, and the Pharaoh was in control of them, and they were enslaved. And God raised up Moses to lead his people out of captivity. But Pharaoh wouldn't release them. And God worked powerfully through plagues. And you may have heard of these plagues. There was ten of them, but the first nine came and livestock and crops and were, were, were flattened and lice came and flies came and rivers and waters turned to blood and there was frogs and all sorts of things going on. Hail and boils and extended times of darkness. And all these things did was to harden Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh didn't let God's people go. And then God sent the tenth plague, the last plague. And this plague was when all the firstborn in any house, in every house, was going to be killed But there was a provision made, and the provision was this, that if you killed a lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb that wasn't blemished, a lamb that was one of the best, if you you killed that lamb and, and took its blood and then painted the blood around the doorposts of your house, on that evening, on that night, when the angel of death would come through, because of the blood on the door, the angel would pass over. And the firstborn son's life would be saved. And the children of Israel did this. And in the morning there was mayhem and there was carnage and there was wailing and there was crying. Because throughout Egypt, from the greatest to the least, the firstborn of every family had been killed. But in every house, in every house where the blood had been put on, the angel didn't kill. The angel passed over. And that Passover lamb is an Old Testament pointer to what Jesus would come to do. In in the first chapter of John, in John 1 and in verse 29, John the Baptist is speaking. And John the Baptist sees Jesus. And he says, Behold, look, see, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The picture language is complete. The symbol is here. The Old Testament Passover lamb was pointing forward to Christ. The blood of the lamb was shed. The the punishment wasn't meted out on the firstborn. And now, here, at this time, Jesus had come. And Jesus was to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's ironic ironic that the Jews are concerned about celebrating the Passover. And why is this ironic? Because they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean. They didn't want to go into the governor's headquarters. The governor was a gentile and they had rules that if you went into a gentile's house you could become unclean and they didn't want to be they could not be unclean for the Passover but they were planning to kill an innocent man. And while they were planning to kill an innocent man at Passover time the irony was all that they were concerned about was their religion and their institution and themselves. And it's also symbolic, and it's symbolic because at this Passover, at every Passover, there was an opportunity for a criminal to be pardoned. That The governor of the land offered this. And Barabbas was a notorious criminal. He was the poster boy of sin, if you like, and crime. And I think in the mind of Pilate, he said, I, I can let Barabbas free, thinking that no one would want him to be freed and they would let Jesus go. And the symbol here is just like the lamb was killed in place of the firstborn that was celebrated at Passover. The Messiah, Jesus, was commended to death as a criminal, as a sinner, as the wicked man, Barabbas, was set free. And it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic on the day of preparation for the Passover, the day before the Passover, the day before remembering what God has done for his people. The Jews rejected Jesus as their king and proclaimed that Caesar was there king and their ruler i just want you to sort of take a step back into history to get the magnitude of what was going on here you see a big problem that the children of israel had was regarding kings they weren't meant to have kings they demanded a king and they wanted a king because in reality god was to be their king And they said they wanted kings like all other kings and God gave them kings and God gave them their own way and tragedy went on from tragedy and here they are. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, the God-man incarnate, is there in front of them and they reject him and they go for the oppressor, the non-Jewish force, the occupying emperor of the time. But just as there is symbolism there, we have to remember that symbolism has become real. At That Passover, in many ways, that is the last Passover that's ever been needed. We don't need to celebrate and remember. We can give thanks to what God has done in the Old Testament. But at that moment, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he said, for Christ, our Passover lamb, Has been sacrificed. You see, the symbolism of that had come true, and the power of the Passover is brought into a New Testament situation. It's as if it's been upgraded. It was an iPhone 1, and now it's just gone to something totally better, totally unimaginable. The truth is here. Christ has come and Christ is the Passover lamb and Christ is about to be sacrificed and the symbolism is becoming real. And you realize now, friends, that the irony is still real. Because right now, and maybe in this room, and maybe as folk are watching online, there are people who are putting their man-made Ideas and religion before Jesus. We have to search our hearts, don't we? And work out where we're at. There are people who don't want to be saved by Jesus because they want to save themselves. There are people now gathering in churches and in religious buildings around the world and they're trying to save themselves by their actions. There are people who are thinking that by wearing certain clothes, by saying certain things, by not doing certain things, by making sure that they do other things, that they will be made right with God. And maybe you here this morning and you online, you are thinking that by being here, by being part of the service, you are making yourself right with God. Well, in reality, you are rejecting Jesus because the only way to be right with God is through Jesus, the Passover lamb that has been sacrificed for the sins of his people. People don't want to be saved they don't want a saviour. They want that to be masters of their own destiny. They want to work it out for themselves just as the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews were doing back then. The irony hasn't changed. And the tragedy is just as real today because people are rejecting Jesus as their king and their saviour and they're putting other things in his place. Cyprus is full of other kings. People grasping for power, people grasping for money, people grasping for a a, a job, a role, a situation, a purpose, and everyone is going after these things and they are going for those things and they are rejecting Jesus but in all this in the upgraded Passover in the Passover lamb of Christ there is power there is forgiveness of sins and if you have been rejecting Jesus if you've been pushing him out if you've been trying to save yourself now is the time to come to him now is the time to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved because the Passover lamb, Christ Jesus, has been sacrificed and he's paid the price for the sins of all those who call upon him. Secondly, we see that the Jews were powerless. The Jews were powerless Now, we know exactly what the Jews wanted to achieve. The the Gospels tell us this, and the Gospel of John tells us this, but in Mark 14, in verse 1, it says, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. The religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to put him to death, but they had a problem. And verse 31, the second part of it, in, in our chapter 18 tells us, doesn't it? And the the chief priests and the scribes were, sorry, uh, the Jews who were the chief priests and the scribes. They said to him, to, to, to Pilate, they said, "It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death." They were in their own country. The Roman authorities were over them. And they wanted to kill Jesus, but they were powerless to do it because the Jews were not given that right. They were ruled by the Roman Empire, and that grieved them greatly, and that upset them. They had a lot of autonomy. They could do things, but they were not allowed to put anyone to death. They wanted Jesus to be killed, but they couldn't do it. the best that they could do was deliver Jesus to Pilate. And that's what they did. They'd had a religious court before that we read about last week when the high priest brought his conviction. And they believed that Jesus's crime was worthy of crucifixion. And that's what they're telling Pilate to do in verse 31. And that's why they didn't want Barabbas releasing in verse 40. And that's why in verse 5 they cried out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And in verse 15 of chapter 19 they cry out again, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! But the reality was of themselves they were powerless to kill Jesus. They could want it. They did. They desired it. They planned it. But they could not. Do it because they were powerless to kill Jesus. And friends, the Jews were powerless to kill Jesus because God is in control. You see this in the darkest of dark times with them crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And they blood wanted to have him killed. They could not do it. They were powerless. Because God is in control. And God had put that Roman Empire there for a plan and a purpose. And nothing happens in this world outside of God's plan and purpose. And when we look on situations, we may think that they're hopeless. And we may think that they're wrong. But we have to take a step back and remember God is in control. And the Jews then were powerless. But we also see that Pilate was powerless. Pilate was the governor of that region. Pilate had the authority of Rome, but Pilate had a very, very difficult job to do. You see, his his difficult role was this, is he had to please his boss, the emperor of Rome. And in doing that, he had to make sure that the people that he lived with were under control. And so Pilate was possibly one of the sleaziest of politicians that you could imagine. He sucked up to the Jews when they needed sucking up to. And he sucked up to Caesar when he needed to do so. Maybe you can think of a country in the world now in this conflict time and they're sitting on the fence and one day they're sucking up to Russia and the next day they're sucking up to NATO. And that's where Pilate was. He was in this impossible job trying to keep his own position. But at the same time as doing this, this man had his own mind but sadly he was just powerless to act on it. You see, three times Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. He was trying Jesus. He had Jesus in front of him. He had a one on one FaceTime with Jesus. He cross examines Jesus. And in verse 38 of chapter 18, he says, I find no guilt. And he goes back and he re-examines and he looks more. And again in 19 verse 4, there is no guilt. In 19 verse 6, he finds no guilt. The verdict that he comes to, the conclusion he comes to, is Jesus is without guilt. He's done nothing. He's done nothing to deserve the crucifixion that the Jews are calling upon him. Doesn't this make us think of the Passover? The Passover lamb had to be a lamb that was without blemish. You you couldn't give the poorly weak lamb to be slaughtered. It had to be a good one. It had to be perfect. And Jesus was without guilt, and he did not deserve crucifixion. And in that way, he's like the Passover lamb of old. But more than that, Jesus was without sin. Jesus wasn't just not guilty of crucifixion. Jesus was without sin. He did not deserve to die. Friends, the wages of sin is death. If anyone here has never sinned, the reality is you do not deserve to die. But the fact of the matter is we've all sinned and we've all shone and fought to the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, as he'd lived his 33 years of life on this world, he had never sinned. And he was not deserving of death. And so he was the perfect Passover lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. But coming back to, to Pilate, I think Pilate must have felt like he was being played by the Jews. And on three occasions, this powerful governor, Pilate, seeks to release Jesus. He offered a Passover pardon. He thought, that will do it. That will do the trick. I'll, I'll, I'll offer the Passover pardon. Who's the worst person we have in the prisons now? Oh, yeah, Barabbas. He's no one want him out on the loose again. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? He wanted Jesus to go free. He wanted them to see reason, and they didn't. And and so what does he do now? I think that he had Jesus whipped. He had Jesus flogged in a hope that this would satisfy. He had the, the, the soldiers had the bit of fun. They played out that wickedness upon Christ and he brought them out before him. And I think his idea and his thought was as they saw him there in that situation, they would say, okay, that's enough. And chapter 19, verse 12, and says, and from then on Pilate sought to release him. Now, I'm sure that the Jews w- would like to take credit for the powerlessness of Pilate. Because as he wanted to let Jesus go, verse twelve continues, and what happens there is the Jews cry out and say If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. And there's that slimy politician thinking Ah I've got a problem here. Who, who what, what happens here? If I'm not Caesar's friend, my job is not secure. Yeah? I think you've seen governors possibly of your lands, that do sleazy stuff to keep themselves in power. And here he was, there's an ultimatum put before him. And, and they underline it and they say, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so they're saying to, saying to Pilate, look, this guy is setting himself up as a king, and if you let him go, you're opposing Caesar, and we'll be the first to tell Caesar, unless you sort this out. Checkmate to the Jews. They thought they had him. They thought they are being crafty. But Pilate comes back with a retort, and verse 16 says to them, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Oh, sorry, before that they cry out, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine where the Jews were to say that? How much they must have hated Jesus? And then so we read in verse 16, so he handed him over to be crucified. But that's not the whole story. You see, I've missed the part of it out. Because in Pilate's cross-examining Jesus, Jesus is, just as the old prophecy said, like a lamb before his shearers is silent. Jesus wasn't speaking and and Pilate was exasperated. And Pilate says to Jesus in, in verse 10 of this chapter 19, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? King of kings and the Lord of lords the Son of God the Son of man is silent no more and I can imagine you could have heard a pin drop in the courtroom when Jesus faces up to him and said you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above Pilate in himself was powerless. Pilate could only do what he did because God is in control. And friends, these words could be said to all the rulers of this earth in all the different times. The rulers of this world have no authority over Christ. No authority over anything unless it has been given to them. And as we look around this world now, as we see the trouble spots of this sin-filled world, we have to remember that these things are not outside of God's control. Putin's power is in God's sovereign control. He can do nothing outside what God allows him to do. The Boko Haram's power is in God's sovereign control. The atrocities that are happening in all these different regions of the world, in Yemen and in Cameroon, none of these are outside of God's control. The U.S., is not outside of God's control. These powerful men, these world leaders who think that they are in control, they are no more in control of this world than you or I are. The only reason they have any power, any authority, any sway, is because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, before time, predetermined what was going to happen. And yet, in the sovereignty of God, in the mystery of it all, each and every one of those men's sins will be judged and they alone will be responsible for their wickedness just as you and I alone are responsible for our own wickedness. But in the darkest moments of history, these make for the brightest dawns and friends, as we sit here in a dark moment of human history, we have to wait and look forward and hope for the brightest of them all. Because Jesus, the Passover lamb, is returning again. And when he returns, all the former things we put away. And if that doesn't excite you, friend, I don't think You know Jesus. You see, lastly we see Jesus' power demonstrated. How Jesus would die was predetermined because God is in control. He was not a powerless, wimpy, pathetic Jesus nailed to a cross. It was not a powerless God who let things get out of control. In verse 18, chapter 18, verse 32, we read, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. He knew it. He was in control. The power of Jesus is seen here. Just as last week we saw that Jesus knew what was going to happen, we see in a deeper aspect that truth. And that was Jesus' death wasn't just he knew how it was going to happen, but we realize here that it was planned by God. If you go back in John, the Gospel of John, if you go back to chapter 12, and you may remember that there's a reference to an Old Testament situation. The Old Testament story was Moses. and He lifted the serpent up in the wilderness. When people looked at the serpent, they were healed of their illnesses. And Jesus said in, in chapter 3 and verse 14, just as Moses was lifted up as a serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then later in chapter 12, in verse 32, he's, Jesus said, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is death. Jesus is coming to this point. Jesus is being here on this earth and being abused and being crucified and as we read there in in verses 1 and 3 of what was happening to him, this was planned before. And Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it upon his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And struck him with their hands. Friends, it's in that what we see is a moment of weakness where the absolute magnitude of the power of our Saviour is demonstrated. What happens to you when you suffer abuse? You at least try to retaliate or run away, don't you? If, If your abuser is smaller than you, you can do something about it, can't you? But here is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here is Jesus, the one who could bring a legion of angels down to protect him. Here is Jesus as when he was arrested and just said, I am, 300 people just fell down in front of him. Here is Jesus and he is taking the flogging. He's taking the abuse of these Roman soldiers. He's letting it happen to him. And that is power. Because in that moment, as he goes on on that road, as he goes on to his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ is paying the price of the sins of his people. And the power of Christ is demonstrated here in its fullness. In some ways, throwing a few stars into space is nothing for God. Creating the world in six days is just a walk in the park. But for God himself to be flogged, to be beaten, to be laughed at, and for God himself to take that, what control? And the power of Jesus is demonstrated in the fact that he came to be the Passover Lamb. And as we see next week on the crucifixion and as we see the following week in the resurrection, God willing, we will see this power of Christ is demonstrated over death over sin and over the devil and we can have an eternal hope in our saviour. The truth is on trial. This is what Jesus came to do. And as we see in this passage, we see that people are split, aren't they? You can never be neutral in respect to Jesus. The Jews hated him, didn't they? And Pilate, for a time, wanted to sit on the fence, didn't he? but in reality his inaction showed that he hated Jesus you are either for him or against him the truth isn't on trial the truth is real friends you and I are on trial this morning We've seen Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, beaten and whipped and mocked. How does that make you feel? Are you for him? Or are you against him? Is he your savior? Or are you running after something else? There's no middle ground. Where are you this morning? Are you in Christ? Or are you against him? Are you saved by him?